Good morning, Greenfielders. So good to see you. Um, as I look out on you, you're just like a solid Christian worshiping group. Everybody's sitting in the back. <laughs> I, that, that's the way I know you're orthodox and solid. Hi, if those of you I haven't had a chance to meet for the first time, my name is Deacon Brian Carroll. It's really great to be back with you. I used to be a fairly regular attendee here when I was a minister at Our Lady of La Salette, a couple of blocks over. But for the last three years, I've been uh, <coughs> assigned at St. Mark's Parish in Warren, Nine Mile and Ryan era. And uh, that kind of means I don't get over this way quite so often. But uh, I'm doing quite well on the east side. There, there are good Christian people on the east side. Did you know that? Um, and I thought at first, you know, I was going to have to renew my passport across Woodward, but that was not the case. Um, and uh, uh, the more observant of you may have noticed I've shaved off my beard. I wore a beard for years. In fact, I started it growing, growing it as a young man to make me look older. And at my last birthday, I turned 80, and I shaved it off to make me look younger. <laughs> and um, a friend said to me, don't worry about being 80. You know, 80 is the new 60. <laughs> and I thought, well, that may be, and I hope that it is, but 9 p.m. is the new midnight. <laughs> I, I, I fade a little bit earlier these days. This morning, I wanted to reintroduce you to Mary of Nazareth, Miriam of Nazareth, as she was probably known, uh, the mother of Jesus and the Son of God. And at the start, I need to recognize that Protestants, with some justification, believe that we Romans have made a little bit too much of Mary. It's true, particularly her alleged apparitions over the last 2,000 years. So this morning I want to speak about what we can know of Mary strictly from the Bible, from the four Gospels and from the book of Acts. And in the New Testament, there are only nine occasions when Mary is mentioned, and in only four of those does she actually say something. And so our knowledge of her from the scriptures is quite limited, but I think it's fundamental. And then my message this morning would be that Mary, who is often known as the first and the best disciple of Jesus, has a fundamental message for you and I, who also try to be disciples, followers, of the Divine Lord. The first of the occasions when Mary is referred to we call the Annunciation, and it's in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel where the Archangel Gabriel appears to her and announces to Mary that she is to be the mother of the Messiah. Let me, let me read that passage. The angel went on and said to her, Do not fear, Mary, you have found favor with God. You shall conceive and bear a son, 
and give, them, give him the name Jesus, and great will be his dignity, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his reign will be without end. Interesting that Gabriel doesn't actually ask Mary to be the mother of God. He announces it as a fait accompli. And uh, angels are something else that we Romans maybe pay a little more attention to than people in the Reformed tradition. But you have to be careful about angels, especially archangels. They're arrogant SOBs. <laughs> they really are. And it's interesting that Gabriel, um, and it's only, as I said, Mary does come back to Gabriel. You know, he has announced that she is going to be the, the mother of God. And Mary comes back and says, how can this be, since I have no knowledge of a man? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and hence the holy offspring to be born will be called the Son of God. And know that Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was thought to be sterile is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And it's only then that Mary, having had her question answered, her question answered, gives her consent to this proposal that Gabriel sort of announced as a fait accompli. And Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say. Interesting that Gabriel tells Mary about his prior assignment to go and tell Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, that they were to be the parents of John the Baptist. And Zechariah has the same question that Mary asks. How can this be? Since I am an old man and, and my wife, both of us, we are of advanced age and beyond, uh, beyond childbearing age. And Gabriel replies with his typical hauteur. You know, Zechariah asks this very reasonable question. How are we going to become parents in our old age? And Gabriel draws him up, self up to his full 10 feet or whatever height an archangel happens to be. It says, I am Gabriel, who stand in attendance before God. I was sent to speak you, to you and bring you this good news. But now you will be mute. You will be uh, unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you have not trusted the word I spoke to you. What arrogance. I like to think that when Gabriel went back to heaven, and, you know, he arrives at the, uh, the, Gabriel, the, the uh, archangel court, and one of the other archangels says, Hey, Gabe, the boss wants to have a word with you. <laughs> and, and so he goes into the presence of the Lord, and uh, the Lord says, Gabriel, I, I appreciate that you're concerned about my honor, you know, but you were a little high-handed with Zechariah. And I'm going to send you back on earth to Mary of Nazareth. And Mary is going to have exactly the same question that Zechariah had. How can this be? Don't go striking her dumb, do you hear? 
You know, you angels are a little aloof about humans. In fact, I, I, I know that your noses got a little bit out of joint when, when it, uh, it became clear that my intention was to create human beings. I created you, these pure spirits, first, and then you, you got a little upset, I know, because I was going to cr not only create humans, but become a human myself. So be careful, Gabe. Watch that hotter, you know. You don't want to end up like Lucifer and his lot, remember? <laughs> well, be that as it may, as soon as Gabriel leaves her, Mary sets off to visit Elizabeth and share the good news with her. Elizabeth lives in the, in the hill country of Judah. Probably they were renting temporary accommodations there because Zechariah, you remember when Gabriel appeared to him in the temple, was doing his, his annual duty or his regular duty um, as a Levite. And so Mary leaves Nazareth and travels about 60 miles to the hill country of Judah. How did a young woman in her teens manage to make such a perilous journey? We don't know. And what is this tremendous bond of friendship there was between Mary and Elizabeth? Perhaps you've had some experience of this kind of intergenerational bonding. You know, where, uh, yes, we, we all love our parents, but sometimes there's a, a special aunt who manages to appeal to us, or a special uncle whom we feel we can go to even for some of the things we would be reticent about discussing with our parents. And clearly, Mary had this kind of intense relationship with her older cousin that says Elizabeth. And we don't know the basis for that. It's one of the many things we wish that the evangelist had fleshed out their stories with a little more. But, but we, weren't, we were not told how this wonderful relationship came about. But it's clear that the two of them were looking forward with longing for the coming of the Messiah. And Mary, when she visits Elizabeth, vents her, her, her amazement and her joy that she is going to become the mother of the Messiah by that Magnificat that, uh, that we had read as our scripture passage. Mary is in the Magnificat certainly quoting some of Psalm 75, some of Psalm 105. Maybe she said that, maybe she didn't. Maybe the evangelist Luke put these psalms in her mouth. We don't know. But it seems pretty clear that both Mary and Elizabeth we're looking forward to a conquering Messiah. Seems pretty clear that they were looking forward to someone who was going to kick the Romans out of the country and establish the kingdom of Israel in all its independence and in all its honor. I mean, the, 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 let me quote just a couple of the lines from the Magnificat. He has deposed the mighty from their thrones and raised the lowly to high places. The hungry he has given every good thing, while the rich he has sent away empty. That's a pretty radical thought expressed there. 
The next time we hear about Mary is nine months later in the second chapter of Luke, when she gives birth to Jesus in the stable in Bethlehem. And you have to wonder, you know, when in the middle of giving labor in that stinky, terrible stable, far from friends and family, I wonder, did Mary say to herself, Gabriel never said anything about this. And then a week later, things get even bleaker for Mary. She and Joseph take the child Jesus to present him to the Lord in the temple. And this old man, Simeon, comes along. And Simeon is delighted because, you know, he's, um, he's praising the Lord that he's finally seen the, um, the, uh, with his own eyes, the Messiah. And he says, Lord, you can now dismiss your, your servant in peace. But I don't think he brought much peace to Mary. I mean, listen to what he says. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to be for the downfall and the rise of many in Israel and a sign that will be opposed. And you yourself shall be pierced with a sword. Just what every mother wants to hear. The son of yours is going to cause a lot of trouble and cause you a lot of heartache. Still in the second chapter of Luke, but 12 years later, we next hear about Mary when she and Joseph and Jesus at 12 years old with the rest of the village of Nazareth make their annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. And you remember when they leave for the journey, um, when a village traveled together like that, um, the, uh, the children would travel with the women and the men would travel together. And it seems that um, when they left uh, Jerusalem and didn't realize that Jesus had stayed behind, um, and Joseph in particular, Jesus wasn't with him, and so that was normal, and uh, Mary looked around and saw that Jesus wasn't with her, and maybe she thought, well, uh, he figures he's a man now, and so he's going with his father. So maybe Jesus did figure it was time for his own bar mitzvah. But anyway, he stayed behind in the temple, and essentially, I think, had his own bar mitzvah by discussing with the learned scribes and the Pharisees there. And of course, Mary and Joseph have an agonizing three days, four days looking for him. And when they finally meet up with him in the temple, there's this very testy dialogue. Let me quote it for you. When his parents saw Jesus, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? You see that your father and I have been searching for you in sorrow. And he said to them, why did you search for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not grasp what he said to them. <laughs> they did not grasp, they did not grasp what he said to them. 
And then there follows, right after that, one of what I picked out as the two iconic phrases that are used about Mary that I think offer us guidance as disciples of the Lord. It is said of Mary, she kept all these things in her heart and pondered upon them. She kept all these things in her heart and pondered upon them. Everything that's been happening over the last 12 years. The uh, sixth time we come across Mary in the Testament, uh, in the New Testament, is at the wedding feast in Cana in Galilee. Of course, you'll know, all, you'll know that story by heart. I know of the close um, association you have with uh, uh, the Lutheran Church across the way. This, of course, was a wedding feast where uh, Jesus changed water into wine. And the story begins again with this rather testy dialogue between Mary and her son. Let me quote it to you. It's the second chapter of John's Gospel. At a certain point, the wine ran out. And Jesus' mother told him, they have no wine. Maybe she was saying, earlier on it says, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus and his disciples were there. Maybe she's hinting that his disciples had been overdoing it at the open bar. The mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus replied, woman, no, what does this concern of yours, how does this concern of yours involve me? My hour has not yet come. And Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And I'm going to suggest that's the second iconic phrase that you and I can hear and use it as Mary's advice about how she became a disciple of her son and how we can do the same. Do whatever he tells you. Trust him. He is trustworthy. He loves you. He is reliable. Do what your heart is telling you to do to follow in his path. You know, it's interesting that Jesus never once in the gospel said, worship me. He said, follow me. Do what I do. And so many of the mainline churches and the Roman tradition is just as guilty as any. We think, fine, Lord, we will worship you. And we've got some magnificent ways of worshiping you. But Jesus said, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. And it's a lot easier to worship than to follow. But of course, worship is kind of like the huddle in the football game, is it not? This is where we get our act together, where we comfort one another, where we build up one another so that we can listen to Mary saying, do whatever he tells you. And the real work is done out there. This is where we strengthen ourselves. This is where our loving God forgives us and strengthens us. But the work of the gospel happens out there. 
Mary's seventh appearance in the New Testament is in the third chapter of Mark's Gospel, and it's probably the most shocking of all. After Jesus has just finished recruiting the 12 closest uh, disciples, whom we tend to call apostles, there is this passage. It's right after the list of, uh, of the 12. It says, he, Jesus, he returned to the house with them, and again the crowd assembled, making it impossible for them even to get any food, whatever. When his family heard of this, they came to take charge of him, saying he is out of his mind. His mother and his brothers arrived, and they stood outside and said word to him to come in. The crowd seated around them said to Jesus, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he said in reply, Who are my mother and my brothers? And gazing around him at those seated in the circle, he said, These are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the, the will of God is brother and sister and mother to me. So Jesus' family thought he was a danger to himself. You know, things had started off well. The original preaching in, uh, in the synagogue in Capernaum had been well accepted, but then he went back to his hometown of Nazareth, and things didn't go quite so well there. And rejection was building up. And Jesus and his disciples, whatever Jesus in particular, were, was attracting some very negative attention. And his family doesn't say whether, where Mary stood in this, but his family came to take him home because they thought he was mad. The final two events in Mary's life that are mentioned in the New Testament are her presence at the crucifixion. She was there at the beginning and she was there at the end. And then finally, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we hear that she is indeed also present in the early Christian community in the book, described in the book of Acts. So if we have to learn from Mary about being a disciple of Jesus, as I said, she provides those two iconic phrases for us to listen to and learn from. In the ups and downs of life, in all the frustrations and worries of life, in all our attempts to follow Jesus and be faithful to him, we should remember what Mary did constantly. She kept all these things in her heart and pondered upon them. We don't understand where we're being led. We don't understand this world we're living in. But we ponder these events and we believe that the Lord is with us and that someday it'll be, be made clear and maybe not until the next life. But as Mary's second what I've called her second iconic phrase says, we must do whatever he tells us. Peace be with you and blessings.